Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. Welcome to the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with one of our featured guests, Sean Moran of Sean Mo Hoops. Sean, it's been a while since we talked, man. This is the first time that we've had you on the pod this season. So really appreciate you jumping on, man, and um, hope that you're having a good start to 2019 so far. I am excited to be back. I know it's been a while, but uh, it's always good to come after a win and excited to hopefully be beyond going forward. Absolutely, man. And uh, the major reason that we wanted to have you on is really, you know, to break down the the win on Tuesday night over Notre Dame. But also for those that did not see the article that's posted on the Inside Carolina Premium Basketball Message Board, Sean saw one of the top targets in the 2021 class, Zaire Williamson. So, you know, Sean, for those that may not be familiar with, with Zaire, you know, where does he play basketball at? And just give us like kind of a quick bio for him, if, if you could. So this is my first time seeing Zaire in person, had read a lot about him and had tried to stay away from really any of the mixtapes, just so I could kind of have a a fresh first impression. But I know UNC got on him relatively, relatively early. He made a trip out to North Carolina with his AU coach back in the fall. Uh, So that really started to spark a lot of interest from a a fan perspective. And he currently plays at Notre Dame Sherman Oaks. So uh, that's about I don't know, 20, 20, 30 minutes outside of LA, obviously, depending on, depending on traffic. Um, but is a pretty big, well-known name on the West Coast. Uh, he got his first uh, Pac-12 offer from Stanford, where he com- uh, did an official visit last weekend, which was his first official visit. Uh, but Roy Williams and Coach Robinson came out to Sacramento to watch him back in December. And he had a really good game in front of them and received a scholarship offer shortly thereafter. Uh, so right now, you know, the junior class is, besides Dayron Sharp, uh, they haven't really, I'd say, started to fully focus on that class. So the fact that a West Coast guy has received an offer and has been getting a lot of attention is a pretty big deal. Um, as I said, it was the first time seeing him play, and he definitely did not disappoint. He is, I would say, 6'7". He told me 6'8". His coach told me 6'9". Uh, when I was interviewing him, I'm six two and, and definitely didn't see the six eight six nine. But I think he has has room to grow. But a very uh, you know his main weakness right now is just how strong he is. He's a really skinny, lanky kid, uh, seven foot wingspan, and he's the tallest player on their team. So he was he was playing the five, but he's really I'd say a, a natural three that could probably, as he grows, uh, you know, play the stretch four. But 39 points and 14 rebounds. So as I said, he definitely didn't disappoint. And, you know, I think on the message boards, I put how consistent he was. And it was even, you know, he kind of exploded in the last quarter, making some crucial plays and and hitting a lot of free throws at the end. But it's a very consistent performance. And, you know, the thing that's great about him is what a good shooter he is. He has a really really good base on his shot, really good form and rotation. Uh, during warmups at halftime, I was just watching him move around the three-point line. And, you know, I think he made six, seven in a row. His miss looked like it was straight on, you know, rather than going left or right on the rim. And, you know, I, I guess he was also really attacking off the dribble. He really liked to go left, um, catching it off the catch and shoot. Um, he could pull up, 
get to the basket, uh, had some had some nice dunks. Uh, and actually the two baskets that didn't count in the first half, uh, his teammate, who's actually going to BC, uh, got a steal and was running down the court with two guys trailing him. So I thought he was going to go up and try to dunk it. He actually throws it off the backboard and Zaire comes. And, um, you know, really over the two guys, but unfortunately they called a foul on the, on the pass. And then at the end of the game, he had 39 <laughs> points, got a steal with a few seconds left and uh, drove down, drove down and kind of bounced the ball up in the air uh, and caught it and dunked it. But it came about a second after the buzzer. So uh, really two of his highlight plays didn't count, but overall I was very impressed. And, uh, you know, I would, I would love to see Carolina continue to pursue him really hard. So projecting out a little bit there, he is just a junior, and obviously everyone knows that he has room to grow there. About his frame, though, Sean, like where do you kind of see him being a potential college player at having watched him live? Do you think that he does have that frame to fill out to guard college fours and do be that stretch four type player, or is he going to be more of that longer, taller three? That's a good question, and I think, depends on the system. I think he's, you know, a natural player on the wing. Uh, I think right now probably doesn't have that quickness to guard the the two guard, uh, you know, who might be six, three, six, four, but uh, you know, I think it, as I said, depends on the system, but with his length and just given how really, you know, the majority of teams are playing, you know, with one true big man, I uh, definitely don't think that will be an issue, especially if he grows another inch or two, which I think he will. Um, and I know, you know, he's working on, on building the strength, I, you know, his, his body type, I don't think he's ever going to be, you know, a real jacked guy, but he definitely has room to, to put on weight, but I think it'll always be kind of the, the lanky three stretch four that, that we, we kind of see often nowadays, you know, Brandon Ingram body type might be mm. somewhat apt for him. Um, and if you remember, Brandon Ingram was playing the, the four at Duke, just because they, you know, they, that's how they, they run their system. So I think, you know, a natural three, but won't be an issue if he's, if he's playing stretch four at a, at a lot of the programs. And what about his, his handle? Did he, did, was he able to like flash any signs of that being able to drive in traffic uh, against, you know, obviously high school competition, but still, you know, how, how would you describe that aspect of his game? Yeah, I think I would describe it as, pretty good uh with with room to improve uh you know the the game i watched in california they have a shot clock 35 seconds so it was a really up and down pretty intense game uh the other team loyola that's where uh thomas welsh went and and a few other players they didn't really have anybody you know extremely good but they had a pretty good team and uh you know there's a lot of times he would grab a defensive rebound and really run the point forward um, so he would bring the ball up, get the offense and gear. And then other times he would catch it, you know, on the, on the three point line, maybe two, three feet outside of the wing. And as I mentioned, he would attack pretty hard left. Um, and he would go one, two dribbles and pull up for a jump shot. Uh, or he would be able to take it to the rim. Uh, I think his, I think under pressure, um, especially some of the smaller guards, they could kind of cause him a little issue. That's why. I think there's still room for improvement just to kind of tighten it up a little bit, but the handle he was showing at his size, um, I think definitely surpassed expectations uh, that I had. And I think one that in the college game, he can definitely utilize to play that point forward type of 
or just grabbing the ball and, and starting the fast break himself. Um, you know, he had good vision. He was unselfish. And I really liked everything I saw about him. Uh, defensively, he he was good. Didn't, you know, you, you wouldn't really, you know, scoring 39 points, he was probably saving a lot of his effort for the offensive end. But at the end of the game, he got trapped and, and turned the ball over at really a crucial point where if the other team had scored, it would have been, kind of, a, I think, a two-point game, and they would have been on a 7-0 run. But instead of just sulking, he kind of got a look at his eye and and sprinted basically three, four, five steps, jumped, and kind of went under the basket and and blocked uh, blocked the layup, really saving the game. So I think the defensive instincts and tenacity could be there, but right now he's, he's asked to do so much on offense that uh, defense wasn't, you know, truly a full focus, but not not something that would be an issue going forward. And then let me ask a question that I'm sure many Tar Heel fans are thinking, knowing that Zaire is a California recruit, Sean. You know, do you think that this is one that the Tar Heels can be serious players in as things stand today? Well, first of all, him being a California player, I've been out here three years. So for me, it's, you know, selfishly, I love it. Uh, just being able to watch uh, Carolina recruit. I know, you know, really early on in Roy's career, he was going to California, then the Drew, uh, Larry Drew and the Wears and that pipeline kind of dried up. But um, I do think it's a legit possibility. And, you know, I've interviewed a lot of high school guys over the years, and there's a good majority that are very media savvy. And, you know, once they know you're you're writing for a certain site, they'll probably tailor their answers one way or the other. But you still seem pretty pretty young and pretty honest in his answers. And, you know, initially I asked about Stanford because he was about to head there uh, the upcoming weekend. And he kind of made it sound like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm basically doing it just to to do it. And by that, I mean, Stanford was his first Pac-12 offer. They've been recruiting him pretty hard. Uh, they played ASU that week and the timing worked out. So it seemed like he was doing it just because it, it fit in. But in reality, you know, that, that probably won't be the school he's going to down the road. Uh, he did bring up Carolina really early on in the conversation, kind of unprompted, uh, just mentioning that he was hoping to get out there February 9th um, is a date that he mentioned as well as his dad, but a lot kind of depends on his playoff schedule um, and how that shapes up of, you know, if, if he is able to have a game Friday and then rush to LAX and, and take a red eye and get there Saturday morning. But um, I think he's definitely interested and he had really good things to say about coach Williams and coach Robinson, who is his main point of contact. And right now, besides some of the West coast schools, UNC uh, is, is kind of the main, I'd say blue blood that's recruiting him, you know, so I think on the message boards, I'd mentioned, you know, it'd be great to try to lock him up before, Kentucky or Duke get in there. Not that UNC, you know, needs to be scared of those two, but that just kind of adds another layer of complexity right now where it's really UNC and some West Coast schools. But he had great things to say. Uh, he's been there, um, you know, mentioned being a fan of Justin Jackson and Joel Berry and that team, even mentioned Kendall Marshall's name, even though he's probably 10 or 11 at that point. Um, you know, he said he was a fan growing up and it was more so just because they're always on TV and got to see a lot of them, a lot of the teams play. So I think all the boxes are checked right now. Uh, and I think it's, you know, ideally a matter of just kind of hopefully getting him out there again and, you know, continuing to try to ramp up the pressure before 
you know, it, it kind of drags on in, into the spring of his uh, senior year. And so visiting is where I was going to ask you next. So it sounds as if he and at least a few members of his fam- family are really going to try to make it out to Chapel Hill. So is that something that UNST fans should be on the lookout for is to hear news that Zaire is heading to campus or, you know, by the time the news breaks, he might already be on campus? Yeah, you know, I got to talk to uh, both his his mom and his dad afterward as well. And, you know, they all mentioned trying to get out there because the first time it, it was him and his his AU coach. Um, so the parents haven't haven't seen it. But uh, when I talked to the mom, you know, she she kind of mentioned that, you know, the West Coast isn't really known for its basketball intensity. You know, UCLA, USC um, compared to going to a UNC game or a game at the Dean Dome. So. I think they're definitely looking forward to getting out there, even though it is is pretty far. Um, so, yes, I think that is something for fans to watch out for, but at the same time, not something to get up in arms about if it doesn't happen, just because of of how difficult it is to to really make a cross country trip, you know, during your season. Um, and once again, the playoff system in California is a little weird, and it can really extend out from kind of late January into, uh, you know, early March. So kind of that first week in February is when his last regular season game is, and then there'll be some district games and regional games, et cetera. So uh, I think it's definitely something to look out for, but I think it's also going to be challenging. So not to kind of read anything into it if it doesn't work out on the ninth. All right, man. Well, I think that's all the questions I had for Zaire's recruitment at this point. So let's go ahead and take a quick commercial break. And when we get back, let's talk about that win against Notre Dame earlier on in the week. So stay tuned. We'll be right back after this. And we are back with the Inside Carolina podcast. John Siegel here with Sean Moran of Sean Mo Hoops, breaking down the Tar Heels win over Notre Dame now in this part of the pod. So, Sean, it was an ugly win. The type that Roy Williams said that he wanted his team to be able to pull out because I think going into the Notre Dame game, Carolina was winless when they were shooting like less than 45 or 46 percent it was something like that adrian atkinson had that stat up so just overall you know how big of of it how big do you think it was for the team's confidence that they were able to get the win at home against a scrappy notre dame team that hung around to the end and just really you know came out there and was looking to to really put the hurt on the heels as much as they could yeah, it was definitely a good one, especially coming off the Louisville loss, which was something I definitely didn't expect. Uh, you know, not that I expected Louisville to roll over, but uh, this definitely isn't the Louisville team of the Rick Pitino era. And, you know, they'll they'll be getting better, but they kind of punched Carolina in the mouth and was kind of expecting UNC to come out and, and jump on Notre Dame. But it was kind of, you know, as you mentioned, an ugly, ugly win and, and kind of a sluggish one. But um, definitely good to get in the column and especially kind of going on the road this week. Um, you know, I think we definitely learned some things about the team and they showed improvement in the second half. I know uh, Greg Barr's did an article on, on kind of the, the focus on the pick and roll defense, which has been uh, really an issue and, and something Notre Dame was, was taking advantage of in the first half with how aggressive they were attacking it. Um, and I, I think Miami will, will be doing the same, but the good thing is, 
Notre Dame, you know, they lost one of their top players. Uh, I think Ken Palm has them number 80 in the country. So not the Notre Dame that we've seen in, in years past and, and neither is Miami. So definitely not one of the, the top tier teams. And I think that was good just to get a win three and one in the ACC and, and move on to the next game. So the player that really stood out to me against Notre Dame was Kobe White, and he has just had an incredible freshman season, I think. You know, his stat line, 17 points in only 22 minutes. He had only one assist. He had two turnovers, so that's still kind of an area where he needs to improve on. But just his ability to shoot and hit clutch baskets, Sean, how how have you viewed Kobe White's play this season so far as being that the point guard running Roy Williams system. Yeah. I mean, I think last year on the podcast, you know, probably lost count of how many times we talked about can he play point guard. And I was skeptical, even going into USA U18 is not saying that he couldn't play it, but just knowing what a great score he was and worrying that that might, you know, him running the UNC system, knowing how difficult it is would kind of hamper his, his scoring ability. But I mean, he is, a joy to watch. Um, so love, love watching him. And, you know, he really came out hot hitting the three pointers um, and then even being able to attack the basket. And I think playing Louisville, he, he definitely had, had trouble kind of, I'd say penetrating or attacking, you know, going against a fifth year um, athletic senior and in, in Cunningham. And I think he came back with, with something to prove, but he's, you know, he's the guy, even when he's taking four shots, it's one of those things you don't really mind because you know he's he has kind of that dog in him, and he can attack off the dribble. He can get his teammates involved. He can shoot from deep, uh, and he's just a really fun player to watch. And it's always nice to see when he is hitting, and you know, still kind of waiting to see everything clicking at the same time between him and you know Cam and and Luke and hopefully Nasir coming off the bench. Um, but in terms of expectations, you know, I think I had pretty high expectations for Kobe this year. Um, and I think, you know, he definitely hasn't disappointed by, by any means, but being able to watch him live at the USA U18 was a, was a blast. And it's been a lot of fun to, to watch him, you know, have a strong, strong freshman season. And let's talk real quick about Nas Little. He had 11 points coming off the bench, like you mentioned, Sean, 18 minutes. All 11 points, so we're in the second half. His freshman year has been very up and down. At times, he has looked like that you know, NBA lottery player. And, and at other times, he's looked lost, just to be completely honest about it. So what's your assessment of where Nas is at this point in his college career for the Heels? I mean, if you're comparing it to expectations, it's obviously behind, you know, behind the eight ball. But I think he was really hampered by, you know, those expectations that were probably unfairly placed on him after doing really well in the all-star setting where, uh, you know, the the games are, you know, defensively are not um, very structured. Um, and then, you know, just having the all summer of being a top five projected draft pick, there's a lot of pressure put on him early and then all the questions of, of why is he starting why, or why isn't he starting? Um, so I think when you look at expectations, yes, he's definitely behind the eight ball, but, you know, I think one thing we all, we talked about was how we kind of expected Kobe to, you know, obviously there was a need for Kobe, the point guard. So Kobe of, of just having that responsibility where, you know, the three, four is a pretty crowded position. So I was definitely pleased by his performance late in the game. Uh, Cause you know, the games before both 
uh, well, Louisville, for example, he, he got a basket and it looked like he kind of got his confidence up and the next possession took it to the basket and lowered his shoulder and got a charge call. So he could never kind of get it clicking. I think confidence is a, is a big part. Uh, obviously when, uh, John Mooney or kind of a slower four or five is guarding him, uh, it makes, it makes life easier. But I think it was after the Louisville game and I forget what message board poster had it, but he was kind of saying this team really lacks kind of an energy guy. And to me, when I first saw Nas play in AU, uh, he was kind of what I would term an energy guy of somebody that can do the dirty work, uh, attack really hard, kind of be a beast on the boards. And I think if he can kind of start to fill in that role, I think he can can really, uh, you know, kind of get back up to those expectations and kind of really help the team, you know, coming off the bench and being that guy that can just really attack off the dribble. Um, I think he's, you know, tried to maybe show the NBA scouts that he is a, a top five pick. And a lot of the time the ball will often stop when he gets on the perimeter and there's some one-on-one action. So I'd love to see just kind of, you know, the quick touches 12, 15 feet out and, and just let him kind of attack or uh, do his thing off one to two dribbles. But once again, the expectations were pretty high and I think it's, you know, it's going to take, going to take patience and, and hopefully, you know, the game against Notre Dame serves him well. And, you know, little by little he can, uh, you know, start to really contribute off the bench. And in the second half, when the heels kind of established the lead and really took control of the game, you know, Notre Dame never really went completely away in this one, but they actually led 58-57 with about 6.52 left. And then from there, that's when Carolina kind of went on that run. So, I feel like it was mostly fueled by by the defense in in that second half there, Sean. So it's been something that the message boards have talked about a lot is why can the heels just not kind of shut it down? What do you think they were doing, if anything, differently to really spurn them on and and make the run that ended up winning them this game? You know, I know, once again, mentioned kind of the, the article about the defense and Definitely Kobe White going under the screens and kind of cutting off Predis Hub or um, even when DJ penetrate, uh, you know, that kind of cut off some of the, the driving lanes. But at the same time, you know, watching it, uh, when I watched it kind of the day after, you know, they were still getting good shots. They were just missing them. Um, you, know, you know, obviously you're not going to hit your shots all game unless you're, you're Louisville. But, um, <laughs> you know, I was, yeah. even though the, the scoring went down for Notre Dame. I was still definitely a little concerned with, with some of the shots that they were, that they were getting. Um, and I, you know, I think Miami, that's not going to should well, shouldn't be a, a huge issue just given the lack of overall talent on, on that level. But when you're t- kind of talking the you know, I'd say the tier one of ACC teams, which is, you know, with Duke and, and UVA, um, you know, I think they still really need to focus on, the man-to-man and the rotations and really just cutting off penetration. Um, so, well, I was pleased with, you know, it was a close game and they were able to kind of build and extend the lead. Um, I, I think once again, Notre Dame, not the most talented of teams this year. Um, so just kind of hoping that they can do that, you know, when they see Virginia tech or, or one of these other tough games that will come up and just one, one thing real quick, you know, the Notre Dame game. And for some reason, I always think back to the Michigan game because I still feel like they could have won that game, even though it was a blowout. And, 
you know, just looking at the last four minutes of, of those first halves, um, you know, UNC has kind of really struggled to score um, at times at the end. I think, um, you know, they, uh, they were down going into the, going into the half and kind of let Notre Dame go on a, on a late run. And it's those type of, you know, stanzas that can really kill a team come March. Um, you know, especially a team that, you know, the, the room for error is probably not as great as, as it has been in, in years past. Uh, it's, it's nice that I think the lineup for the most part is, is kind of down to eight right now, eight, eight or nine. I, I was kind of surprised Lee Black didn't, didn't play more given I thought he'd been, been playing well, but, um, you know, it's really those four minute stanzas where that's, what's going to be kind of the, the trouble spot for them going forward. Well, and you've mentioned a couple of times, you know, that the, that the heels play against Miami on Saturday, the last two times that the heels have played down in Coral Gables, it has been a blowout for the hurricanes. I think I saw some stat on Twitter. I don't know, Sean, if you saw, but you know, the, I think the average margin of victory has been like over 20 points between the last two away games to Miami. So this season though, the Canes are nine and seven, one and three in conference. Their talent level is way down from where they have been. So, where do you think the Tar Heels are going to get enough scoring? Because to me, that's going to be the, the question if they're going to re- reverse the recent trend of losing when they play the Hurricanes in their home stadium. Yeah, uh, you know, usually Miami has proven to be tough overall with Jim Laranega and you know I think he's you know and I go back to some of the Gary Williams coach Maryland teams that that played against UNC and I feel like Laranega is a a coach that not that he has UNC's number but he he knows how to how to scheme uh for Roy Williams and and UNC and he's had pretty good good success um now this team as you mentioned not nearly as talented chris likes is their their top player the the five seven speedy point guard but you know they lose lonnie walker jaquan newton etc so they really lost a lot and i I think it'll give unc an opportunity um to really go play a team that once again is is one of you know a, a slower pace team um that will will focus on keeping UNC off the offensive boards, keeping them out of transition, which really the last two teams have done pretty well. Um, but at the same time, it should be a game UNC wins as long as they're they're focused. And even if they're not on their A game, um, I, I think, you know, not to get too cocky, but I would be surprised if it, if it was a loss. But at the same time, um, knowing the history there, you know, they could, who knows who could get hot and all of a sudden the, the, crowd in Coral Gables is is going nuts but at the same time not a very talented Miami team uh they did beat Wake at home this past um past week but I don't think Wake is uh uh one of the top teams either so it definitely should be a win and and should be a game that UNC can build on uh to build the record kind of going into Virginia Tech at home uh which will be one of their tougher games over the next uh next few weeks yeah, the, the schedule definitely is about to ramp up in difficulty for the Heels. And I agree with you. I think that this is a must win for Carolina. And I mean, I'm, I'm with you there where I would also be surprised if the Tar Heels lost. But I was also thinking that the Louisville was going to be <laughs> a pretty sure win. And 
we all saw what happened there. So um, I think that's about all I had. Uh, Sean, what do you have coming up on your podcast, which is the Sean Mo podcast for everyone listening? Strongly encourage everyone to give that one a subscribe as well because there is some awesome recruiting news and guests that you have on there. Well, what's coming down the pipeline, man? Yeah, so just um, had a podcast come out today and is really kind of, I guess, trying to shake the podcast uh, rust off with both this one as well as the one I did on my own uh, since it has been a while, was was out of, the, out of the country for most of December and was about two months, but had a guest, Michael Weisenberg, who I've had on uh, a good, good amount of times on my podcast, but he also helped out inside Carolina uh, back in October with the USA Developmental Camp and did a lot of uh, Q&As with people there, but um, did a very good kind of breakdown segment on the strengths and weaknesses and kind of how a lot of the UNC commits and targets would project to the next level as well as the NBA. And I know a lot of fans liked his breakdown and analysis. So we just kind of talked a lot about college hoop scene as well as some of the high school games that we had seen. Uh, he lives over in Oregon, so has been been able to see a lot of the Pac-12 games out there, but we kind of broke down the ACC and uh, some draft talk, but hopefully we'll get things going um, more on a regular basis and, and looking forward to, to chatting as the UNC season continues on and as the competition continues to get a little stronger for the Tar Heels. Absolutely. Well, we will try to get you on as much as we can on the Inside Carolina podcast, Sean. But for today, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. And I do appreciate you for joining us, man. All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports, your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.